Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Thanks for joining me today for another in-depth discussion around nutrition and health without compromise. Did you know that nearly half of the world's population lack access to clean and modern cooking products, who lose around 13 hours each week cooking with wood, which also causes smoke pollution and is tied to almost 4 million deaths per year? That's almost three times more than global deaths from traffic accidents. The reality is that this lack of access to clean cooking costs the world economy approximately $2.4 trillion each and every year due to the adverse impacts of unsafe and polluting fuels on people's health and the climate. So to unpack these issues today and get to the meat of the problem and possible solutions, I'm joined by Ben Jeffries. He is the CEO of ATEC a social enterprise startup that aims to create global access to clean cooking solutions. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, Karina. Thanks for having me. Well, it's lovely to have you here. You know, as we get started today, I thought I would ask you to simply, for a moment, stand on your soapbox and summarize why we should care about clean cooking beyond what I've just shared. Yeah, I mean, I think you summarized a few good points there. It's um, very much a global silent killer from a health perspective, particularly for women. So as you mentioned, it kills more people in traffic accidents globally each year. But it's a a slow, slow burn for as far as over time that it actually takes for these problems to come along. But yeah, it affects about half the world's population as well as children, as you'd expect in many of these households hanging out around the kitchen with their mothers as well. But it's not just a health issue. It's also an issue for uh, the environment. So it's not well known, but if we're able to solve this problem, it would actually offset more carbon emissions than the global airline industry. So it's a couple of percent of total global carbon emissions. So it's not just a, a huge social problem, but it's a huge environmental problem. But the good news is there are solutions that we can move forward with. So when we're talking about clean cooking solutions, what are we speaking of specifically? What are these clean cooking solutions? Yeah, so there's a couple of different levels of what they call in the in the industry like tiers. What we focused on is is very much what we would say is decarbonized cooking solutions. So these are solutions that don't rely on biomass or fossil fuels over the long term. So for us, we have two products that we sort of supply out to people across Asia and, and soon Africa. One is an electric cook stove solution, which is high efficiency induction stove, and the other is a biogas system which is both a cooking solution, but also produces around 20 tonnes of organic fertiliser per year in converting their animal manure, kitchen waste, green waste into fertiliser and gas for cooking. So yeah, so be able to take people from cooking with wood, be that sort of wood or crop residue or charcoal up to these high tier solutions, as we call it, is really what we're trying to achieve. Wow. So I'm trying to picture what the life of an individual in one of these areas where you know, half of really the world population is living in a way where 
the cooking is polluting a lot within their environment. And trying to parse the statistic of three times more deaths than happen in cars, what are the kinds of maladies or sicknesses that these people tend to suffer from? Are we just talking cancers, like lung issues? What are we talking about here? Yeah, pretty much you, you summed it up there. So it's uh, the way I usually talk or help to describe it is it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, but then also getting in in your eyes as well. So another very common problem that people have is, is cataracts and other eye-related issues, a lot of early onset of blindness for women from constant smoke exposure as well. So yeah, so these are the, it's predominantly lung and eyes is, is the main issue for a lot of women. It's also been linked to childhood malnutrition, unfortunately. So it's prolonged smoke exposure, much like is why they say like don't smoke around children. It actually causes deformations in the intestinal system around the villi. So it's, it's really is something that we need to move at and take action on. Wow. Okay. So I hadn't understood that there was also a connection to intestinal health, but thinking it through, it just, it makes sense. Essentially, you're polluting your system. Things get gummed up that aren't necessarily directly involved with contact to lung tissue or to your eyes. And these permeable membranes are more affected by pollution like the lungs and the eyes, but that, you know, your gut is a permeable membrane too. And so I think that makes logical sense. It's a little surprising, but as I think about this with the global whole, you know, much of the communities that we see in the West are still cooking with things like propane or even a lot of barbecuing and things along those lines as well. So do you have a perspective on our other methods of cooking and what we can do to clean up our acts, so to speak, so that we're not creating all of these additional greenhouse gases, you know, some of which we cannot actually draw down through photosynthesis? Yeah, which is why if you have the ability, I mean, we don't have it a lot in the West, but in America, there is, if we talk about the couple of solutions, say in America, for example, there is the option of using biogas in America. There's a company called Home Biogas who sells systems in America now, where it's basically just like composting, but you get gas out of that solution as well. So there are solutions there from a barbecue perspective. And then what we think on the gas side, as far as using gas for cooking, we expect that LPG will basically phase out over the next decade. Uh, we wrote an article on this last year that basically really the, the end game solution for cooking is high efficiency electric cooking, induction currently being the best technology on the market for that. It's safer, it's cheaper, it's decarbonized. Obviously, it depends a bit on the grid, what the grid is, but as the grids get greener and greener, it's going to be by far the best solution moving forward. So that's what we expect. We see here, I'm, I'm an Australian. In Australia, they're now phasing out LPG connections or gas connections for new housing developments. So I think it's underway, but we're probably a little bit behind where we should be in the West, I think. So when you say LPG, that's liquid propane gas, yes. correct? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. I like to translate all of the acronyms because the reality is if we're always speaking in jargon, only a segment of the population will understand. But really, as we think this through, there's a couple of developments I've seen recently in my own neck of the woods, as a for example, where there was a housing development that went up and they were emblazoning on their billboards in the neighborhood, all electric, right? But they did not convey to people what that meant and why that was significant. And so even, you know, here I am cruising around my neighborhood, seeing this all electric and wondering, why is that important? And why is that a good thing? Not understanding that what it meant 
was that there was no gas hookup and that there was actually a solar farm connected to the property. So all of their electricity is coming from solar. It felt like a better message might have been all solar energy, no gas, because those things would have been much clearer to the consumer that isn't necessarily aware that all electric also meant green electricity. And it's not necessarily commonly known that if you say all electric, that you're also conveying that you mean that it's using green energy as well. So I think we need to get our language a little bit better around this and perhaps improve our skills as marketers in this space so that people understand what it is that they're buying into and the impact that that's going to have on their own personal carbon footprint. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, I think it's always a challenge to get it, get it. Well, you should go pitch that to that housing development, I reckon. You, you're not much better than me. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, I think that the ultimate solution is we want 100% renewable energy delivered efficiently into our households. And what we're trying to do is just extend that out to the emerging or developing world as well. So tell me about the technology behind the units that you're creating, which create a greener sort of cooking experience, even in some of these environments that are somewhat off the grid. Yeah. So if I focus in on our electric cook stove range, basically it's, we put these into households for, to be able to cook. They're able to faster, safer, more cost-efficient cooking solution in their households. It's great for them. And what's unique about our devices is that it's a patented design that also has a SIM card in there, a GSM SIM card. And with that SIM card, do a couple of things. We're able to provide better customer service and support because we can connect to the system and see how it's going. And then we can also sort of monitor usage, which for us then has a couple of other, other benefits. A lot of the countries we're working in, the, we're working closely with the grid providers in these countries and or mini grids or whatever it may be. And these guys being able to see that usage data is really valuable to them, be able to sort of manage the load within the electricity system. And then the, the second one, which is, is the really big opportunity, is we can take that usage data and basically convert that into carbon credits. So these companies and governments that have signed up around the world to net zero, part of the way they're getting there is through buying carbon credits. So we're able to offer those carbon credits based off what people have converted from cooking with wood, cooking with electricity. We're able to offer those carbon credits and use those carbon credits to be able to reduce the costs to the household, which means we can get more people onto electric cooking. So, and I probably misspoke because this isn't off the grid, it's an electric solution, Correct. right? Yep. But I'm curious, what percentage of the overall cost of having a home and cooking with something like this electrical solution is for the people living in those areas? Like you're mentioning these carbon credits to help pay for, you know, the electricity that they might be consuming. But, you know, what are they actually looking at? Is it a quarter of their electricity use, a tenth? Yeah, so as far as electricity use goes, they're, they're very, very low electricity users. So I'm, I might step back on one point because a lot of people, usually a question they have is like, oh, hang on, do these people have electricity? Is a very common question that we get, which has rapidly changed in a lot of the markets we're working in. So if you take Cambodia and Bangladesh, where we majority work, you're looking at 90 to 95% of households now have grid electrification, which has been a huge leap forward in the last decade. It went from less than half the population up to these numbers. So we've got all people with access to electricity 
they tend to use quite small amounts of electricity, a lot of households, because it's for some very basic lighting, fans, maybe a TV if, if they're doing a little bit better for themselves. So they might be spending, say, around $5 a month, $10 a month on electricity. They bring in our stoves. They're going to be spending around about the same, somewhere between 5 to $10 a month on the stove, but they're actually saving time, money and from sort of cooking from another source from there. Yeah. And how does this impact their nutrition? I mean, that's the question that is lingering for me because I wonder if the nutrient value of their food changes because they're cooking it in a different way and perhaps not charring it or something along those lines, or if they're just able to cook their food more efficiently so they are getting more out of it, so to speak. So I wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think from a nutritional value, there may be some changes around how the food is cooked. We haven't looked specifically into that. I think probably the biggest nutritional outcome is just actually getting smoke out of that environment for those households so that they're not having to deal with the health issues, which then potentially affect the nutrition for the person as well. So I think that's probably the biggest outcome. But yeah, we, an interesting point we haven't looked in, into affects the direct nutritional value of the food through that cooking approach. Well, and if it's changing their cooking habits overall, like are they shifting to steaming vegetables that they otherwise might not have before and things along those lines? So it just, it piques my curiosity personally. And so the other technology that you mentioned had more to do with, I think, using animal dung and things like that as fuel. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So we have these tanks. It looks like a water tank called a biodigester. And basically they're designed for small scale farming households who have a few livestock on a farm. And they basically collect their animal manure, put that in there along with kitchen waste and green waste. uh, And there's a what's called methogenic bacteria in there, which break that down into methane, which you can then use just like uh, gas for cooking, and then an organic fertilizer as well. So it's essentially using the same technology that would use a natural gas to cook, but using the gas that's created from the breakdown of the bioorganic material, right? Correct. In that case, the biodigester itself would create some pollution, but it would be a step beyond or a step lower than what you would typically see if you were burning things like wood or wood or other material, correct? Yeah, correct. So there's two things. Number one, we're offsetting that wood cooking. And number two is if you allow manure just to sit there, there's actually quite a bit of methane that is released from that manure just naturally from the animal. So the So we're just capturing it and using it as opposed to letting it just go its own degenerative way, right? Yeah. And so methane as a greenhouse gas is about a hundred times more potent than carbon dioxide. So what we're doing is basically capturing that, doing in an efficient way, burning that for cooking, and it can reduce up to about seven tons of greenhouse gases per year through doing doing that approach. That's per one system. Is that simply because, and I apologize for the ignorance here, but I don't really understand how burning methane changes the ability of it to become a greenhouse gas that would otherwise be detrimental to the environment. So can you enlighten me? Yeah, so if you look at methane gas, basically you're breaking it down into water and CO2 when you burn it. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, you're taking something that's 100 times potent to the atmosphere and you're breaking it down effectively into one or two times. So the difference between those two is a a 98 or 50 or 100x reduction in impact on the atmosphere. Wow. Okay. That helps to remove the ignorance, so to speak. So thank you for that. Now, if you were to paint a picture of the future that we would all want to live in that has optimized how we're using fuel and cooking, what would that look like? How would our lives be different today than they are presently? Yeah, I, I think it would be just 
cooking that is decarbonized. So the fact that we don't have to rely on be it wood or fossil fuels for our cooking into the future at a global level. That to me would be the electric cooking. I think biogas can play a really important role in there as well. There's also some ethanol technology that's out there as well, which is quite environmentally friendly and renewable too. So these are the these are the solutions we'd like to be able to see. And for us, we very much draw some parallels to how we're seeing the car market and what's happening in the car market. You're undergoing this tectonic shift from sort of being a fossil fuel driven sector and electric vehicles are now coming in and becoming more and more standardized and the norm, et cetera, over time. And that's what we think will happen as people get more and more serious on tackling emissions across a variety of ways. Wouldn't surprise me if in sort of 15, 10, 15 years, we're all cooking on electric, basically. So I wonder, too, if you could draw a parallel to something like how we're heating and cooling our homes, because still around the world today, a wood fire is much of what is used to heat a home and then air conditioning with things like other greenhouse gases like Freon is commonplace as we continue to develop. You know, when I hear statistics like we've gone from 50% of houses electrified to 95% electrified in developing country, then essentially I'm also thinking, okay, well, at what point do they start to say, I want air conditioning and central heat? And these things are going to take a lot of energy as well. I'm sure this is something you've looked at. I know it's not specifically in the space of cooking, but I'd love your thoughts with regard to how we can shift that over the course of the next couple of decades as well. So, yeah, I think, I mean, it's very much, I think we should expect that as people move up the economic sort of pyramid, that they're going to look for more and more sort of convenient technology solutions. So, I mean, we see it in the households we work with and we've been doing, we kicked off about seven years ago in Cambodia. And we've seen like, you know, very low smartphone penetration to now in Cambodia, there's more smartphones than there are people in the country. And, it's, and we're seeing that with electrification and other sort of areas of modernity uh, that people are looking to bring in. So I think as far as taking that forward, we need to obviously strike the balance. I don't think the technologies have an inherent problem with them as such. It's more where is that energy coming from and is it renewable Obviously, we want to be able to tackle that problem on two levels. One is efficiency, and what we see is really driving forward with efficient devices across the board. So, for example, in our in the work we do, the old I don't know if you ever used them back in sort of in the past. Those old electric coil heaters that were an absolute terrible thing to cook with. But they were they were very low efficiency, very terrible to use, etc. We want to avoid that kind of technology, be it in air conditioning or whatever it is, and have high efficiency setups. But really, the bigger point as such is making sure that the grids or be it off-grid or on-grid, that the energy that we're drawing on is renewable. I remember a discussion once, uh, there was the British guy, Brian Cox, talking about the ultimate goal is we don't have to be, we can be abundant with energy. That is the ultimate goal we want to, to move towards is not have constrictions on energy, but we need to do it in a way that's renewable and efficient and, and sustainable for the future. Well, I, you're preaching to the choir here. Now, this show is entirely about nutrition without compromising your health, your morals, or the health of the planet. And so I think it really does fall into this perspective of ensuring people have access to cook their food so that it's healthy for them to eat. I mean, there's some foods that really aren't healthy to eat raw. And so we need people to be able to cook them, to purify their water, to do simple things within their homes to ensure their future health. And also, 
while not sacrificing the health of the planet. So while this may have been a little bit more technological and a little bit less nutrition-based than our typical shows, I think that the topic is absolutely one that we all need to think a little bit more on. Now, I understand that you're also using technology to optimize and to feed the success of your company. Is the Internet of Things an integral part in your future? Yeah, for us, we believe so, because for us, there's, as we've seen following COP26, the big meetings of government last year, there's been a renewed commitment towards getting the globe towards net zero over the next 30 odd years. And a big part of that, as I mentioned, is having those carbon credits, because ultimately, as long as we're reducing carbon emissions, no matter where they are, that is the goal. And carbon credits is a function to be able to trade them, basically people who, for whatever reason, can't reduce to the level that they need right now can buy those carbon credits. So what that Internet of Things functionality helps us to do is for us to be able to do those carbon credits at a much larger scale and much more efficiently than traditionally. You would have to send someone out to go check households, etc. It's not efficient. It's not as reliable. So we very much see data-based or IoT-based carbon credits being where the future of the market will, will want to go because the quality is much more trusted. You can do it at a much larger scale as well. So that's really what that helps us to achieve. Well, using technology like artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, data streams to make better decisions and ultimately refine even our usage of energy so that we're not using it when we don't need it is all, I think, critical. So thank you for sharing that perspective. Now, if there was a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, what might it be? And if you don't have one, I would just love to hear from you a closing thought for our audience to consider. Yeah, what we haven't that I think very much links to nutrition is around the use of chemical fertilizers globally. And it is, again, this is one of these things that not a lot of, maybe, maybe your audience is, is probably more familiar than a lot of people, but it's leading to pretty widespread soil degradation for a, a lot of countries, particularly food bowl countries in the developing world, which is growing a lot of the things that we consume then in, in the West. So for us to be able to look at how can we support and intervene around increasing organic fertilizer inputs into those scenarios because these farmers, they, they're obviously not sort of, you know, ca cash rich at, at, in the work that they do. So they're quite often looking for that cheapest solution. So I think there's sort of both a supply and demand uh, sort of approach to that. One is making the supply of organic fertilizer easier and easier for farmers in these situations and then also pushing more and more towards organic demand perspective as well will help to achieve that. We are a bit on what they're calling a bit of a soil crisis globally, where effectively every year that we heavily chemically fertilise soil, it basically drops the soil down one level. There is a bit of concern internationally that we're going to effectively make a lot of what is now farming land arid over the next 50 years if we continue with current practices. So I think that's a big alarm bell for all of us from a nutrition perspective is we need to be sustainable on that front as well. Well, I, you're preaching to the choir here. I actually just noticed that a thought leader I follow, Sadhguru, has actually launched an initiative to save our soil. And so if you go to Sadhguru's Twitter feed, as a for example, it's the banner in the background all around being a conscious global company or conscious global group of people of all concerned citizens that are seeking to really restore, rebuild, and regenerate our soils around the world because 
we really are not that far from an arid crisis, essentially, where we can't grow food that we need to grow in the soil that we have. Topsoils have been eroded, and we need to work to essentially put carbon back in the soil. So there are a number of ways that we can do that, put nutrition back in the soil too. And I'm reminded of some old, these were radio programs that Dr. Wallach's, which was a supplement brand put out there. He would buy Remnant Radio and talk all about how people needed to put their ashes from their fire back on the ground that they were growing their food in. But we've gone so far from that type of a lifestyle. We're not farming our own food and cooking with wood. And to your point, if we're cooking with wood, we're polluting the atmosphere in such a way that is untenable too. So we need a better solution that can restore our soils. And we do need more people thinking about that problem. And so I appreciate how you are working to do this with ATEC. And I would like you to again summarize how it is that you're a part of that process so that we get a clearer understanding of the connection to soil. Yeah, I mean, we're doing things very much on a a smaller scale around, but particularly with that biodigested product is effectively taking what is normally seen as, you know, a a valuable resource, but a lower valuable resource around cow manure, kitchen waste, green waste, and effectively helping them to turn it into organic fertilizer that can be very easily used on their farm and highlight to them when we install the product and talk about, okay, well, Yes, chemical fertilizer may be easy, but it's probably costing you a a lot more than what you expect compared to if you actually use this. So just shifting on a farmer by farmer level, their view of organics and how they can actually do that moving forward. So yeah, it's step by step. Are you also finding this as an opportunity to educate about farming without tilling the soil? Is that something that you're involved in? Yeah, it's an interesting point. There's a lot of conversation around that in the in the countries in which we work and particularly looking at the biome within the, the soil as well and how you can best protect and care for that. And one of that is the no-till approach. I know quite a few of friends and partners who are trying to push that forward as well. It's a strange thing though, people just very adamant that they must turn that till that soil. So it's it's been a tricky one. Even with the awareness, it's still uh, tricky to convince people that that's the way to go. Right. Well, you know, it will take time. How many years did we spend educating people that they needed to plow in order to plant? And so getting to a perspective where we're not doing that, or we may still employ some basic aeration of the soil, but also find different ways to do that without plowing and ultimately ensuring that in so doing that we're restoring and we're protecting the topsoil and all the microbes within, because to your point, those microbes, they increase water retention within the soil. And so you don't need to use as much water in farming. And that's one of the key indicators of long-term success, especially as run into water restriction in different communities around the globe with shifting rain patterns and things along those lines. Well, I'll be digging into that subject a little bit more with depth as I bring in as a future guest, Tom Newmark, who is the co-founder of The Carbon Underground. He's a regenerative farmer himself with a working farm at Finca Luna Nueva in Costa Rica. And so I encourage my listeners to stay tuned for that one. Ben, this has been my pleasure. I want to thank you for your time today. Mm, Likewise. Thanks, Karina. I really appreciate coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Now, to learn more about Ben Jeffries and ATEC, I would invite all of you to visit his website, and that's atechglobal.io. 
That's A-T-E-C global.io. I know this IO finished to a website is relatively new to some. So just think about it as the internet of things, but without the T at the end. Now, Ben, any closing words? No, I think, I mean, the more we can uh, really appreciate you you having me on, Karina, and the more we can raise awareness around this cooking issue that's happening on globally, but there is solutions there. There is light on that horizon. So I really appreciate you giving some opportunity for us to discuss this. Fantastic. Well, as always, I will include all notes from our discussion today and full transcripts on our website at orlonutrition.com. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to subscribe to the show so that you are alerted when new episodes drop. Thank you for joining us today. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or.